0: Welcome to the Practice Purchased Podcast, where you'll learn everything you need to know to buy the perfect dental practice, all for free and all in less than 20 minutes an episode. Learn more about your host, author, presenter, and coach to hundreds of successful dental practice buyers by visiting BrianHanks.com. Welcome to the Practice Purchase Podcast, Season 1, Episode 16. The topic today is the legal documents you'll see and what they mean when buying a dental practice. I am your host, Brian Hanks, and I'm going to start this episode by saying I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) So, anytime we talk legal documents and legal topics, I just want you to keep in mind the source of the information. Um, I have gotten very comfortable with um, knowing what I know along this topic asking intelligent questions and then knowing when to stay in my lane. So the uh, what you're going to get out of this episode is a, a very good sense of where you can ask intelligent questions, what to expect. And then, of course, you are going to go hire a lawyer, <laughs> hire an attorney, because uh, they're going to be worth their weight in gold when you get uh, to this point in your transition. So the outline of today's discussion, very simple. I want to do a quick review of what we know about the legal site already, including when to get an attorney involved. And then we're going to talk about the three documents you'll see for sure, along with two other possible documents you may see in your dental transition. Those five are the asset purchase agreement, the bill of sale, a lease or a real estate contract. And those are the three that everybody will see. And then we'll talk about a partnership agreement, which some people will see, and uh, some also see associate employment agreements. And so those are the five documents we're going to talk about today. Others may come up. Uh, every transition is unique, of course. Uh, and then I want to finish the episode by t- giving you a few general tips for reading legal documents. Some tips that I've picked up over the years, things lawyers have taught me, little tips and tricks that I think will be helpful for you. So let's start the episode by reviewing what we talked about in episode six. If you remember, episode six, we talked about how to choose your attorney. And, and the basics, I'm, I'm not going to rehash. If you want to go back through that episode, please do. The basics, though, are that a lawyer is an absolute must. And it, as the accountant, what I would say is if it were my dental transition and I had to choose between an attorney and an accountant, I would choose the attorney every time. So the, the lawyer is a must. The lawyer needs to be dental specific, and should specialize in transition specifically. We talked about how uh, I recommend that you have a bias towards flat fee attorneys, uh, given their expertise and their comfort in in uh, quoting you fee. And then we talked about how you're likely to see that fee range anywhere from five to ten thousand dollars, given the complexity and and what's going to be included. Okay, so that's a quick review. Again, go back and listen to episode six if you need to find more details there. Uh, But let's get into the specific documents that you're going to see in your transition. Okay, And the first big one that you're going to see is called the Asset Purchase Agreement. The APA, Asset Purchase Agreement, and this is the large documents, 70, 80, 90 pages long. And this is the one that has all the whereases and the heretofores and the legal mumbo-jumbo, as they like to say. And, and this is the document that is it has all the meat, okay? Uh, this document, the APA, the Asset Purchase Agreement, contains all the information from your letter of intent. Price, asset allocation, timing. Um, and usually, in addition to the 70, 80, 90 pages, the APA will have several exhibits at the end. And exhibits are addendums or just extra little, I, I think of them as add-ons to the document and typically, they'll cover things like how you're gonna handle the accounts receivable in your transition, what you're gonna do, and what the non compete looks like, and things like that. So, what you need to know about the asset purchase agreement is that this is where most of the negotiations will happen. Okay, this is where the two lawyers are going to spend most of their time discussing what is and isn't included in your documents. Okay, and what I would tell you is that it's very common to have a long discussion around this document because the stakes are pretty high here. You want to, as the buyer, make sure that you're getting what you think you're buying. And the seller, of course, wants to make sure that you can't come back and take all the money away that you you gave them. So there's a natural push and a pull here around the asset purchase agreement. It's a big deal. Um, you can uh, see versions of other asset purchase agreements online, and and I would recommend that you take a look. My number one recommendation when it comes to your asset purchase agreement is that, and, and this is going to be a painful recommendation, I'm going to apologize in advance, that you read every word. <laughs> and that's painful. It's like, you know, when was the last time you read a 90-page book? I hope a lot of you say yesterday. <laughs> but um. You know, a ninety-page dry legal document um, is a must. You got to read it. You got to look at every word on every page, and you got to grab a pen, have it with you. as You're reading the document, circle things that don't make sense, ask your attorney what they're protecting you from, and um, and and basically get very familiar with the document. Okay, so that's document number one. Document number two is the bill of sale. Now, the bill of sale, it's this is um, compared to the asset purchase agreement. This thing is a piece of cake. It's usually one page. It typically will have uh, dates and which assets are being exchanged for money. It'll have a basic description of the deal and it'll have some signatures. And typically this is uh, what gets submitted to state agencies and things like that. So it's, um, it's almost a check the box type exercise. Very rarely do I ever hear that there's um, negotiations or discussions around the bill of sale but you need to know what it is and you need to make sure that it gets executed properly. Okay, the third document that you are sure to see in your transition is the lease, or if you're buying the building, the real estate contract. The important thing to remember about this piece of the legal puzzle is that any t- whatever, whichever flavor of building you are getting into, whether it's renting or buying, it is a totally separate transaction from the one that you're doing with the seller of the dental practice, okay? Uh, sometimes they're tied together. Uh, you're buying the building and you're buying the, the business, but buying the business is totally separate from renting from a landlord or buying a building, okay? Uh, the two go together. I mean, they happen around the same time, but these are legally treated as separate transactions. And often, often there are significant negotiations here. Um, I see this as an area that is fraught with peril because I have. If, if there's one thing that has killed deals in the past that I've been involved with, it is the lease. The lease is the tricky part, and it's if you think about it for a second, it's logical why it happens, and it's it's because the landlord is sitting there happy. They've got this great dentist in there, and then suddenly the dentist calls the landlord and says, "Hey, by the way, selling my business, you're going to have a new tenant." And so you have a third party that wasn't involved at all up until this point suddenly thrust into the middle of you know creating a new uh, lease or negotiating a new lease or doing something to get you into the practice at the terms that you're going to need uh, for you to be able to buy the business. I would say um, you know I'm not going to give very prescriptive recommendations here other than to give you a sense of... What the requirements are around real estate contracts. So, what um, in order to get approval for financing, one of the bank's requirements will be that you need to be able to prove that you can stay in the location the seller is in today for the amount of time on your loan. Okay, so I'll say that differently in different words. Um, if you're if you're getting a ten year loan from a bank, you have to be able to show the bank that you have the ability to stay in that location for at least 10 years. And that can take different forms and different banks will have different rules. So it could be maybe, let's say a five-year lease with a five-year extension or the ability to extend a lease. Or it could be a 10-year lease with two five-year extensions that take you out 20 years. What you can't do is have a two-year lease with nothing in the lease that guarantees that you have the right to stay there. Okay. And and. Obviously, that is going to be a little different if you buy the building. If you're buying the building, then you own it. You can stay there as long as you'd like. But um, you know, my other tip here is that real estate is very different from business, in the legal world, okay? So buying and selling of real estate, very different from buying and selling of businesses, and often, the best lawyers that I know will either have a different attorney in their firm doing real estate, and one will do business, one will do real estate, or they'll outsource things like the lease negotiations or um, brokerage around the real estate purchase to someone else and wrap it into their fee. So don't be surprised that as you're talking to your attorney, if they say, hey, listen, (laughs) I'm a master at negotiating these business transactions, but we're going to bring in another specialist for the real estate specifically. And and then finally on the real estate, these things can take forever. Okay. So start as soon as possible. You know, getting the right attorney is a huge part of this process. We've talked about the asset purchase agreement. We've talked about the bill of sale. We're talking about how the real estate is so important and how it's different and how it can kill the deal. Um, getting the right attorney is a huge 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 deal if you want an attorney recommendation um, I've worked with a lot of the dental specific transitions focused attorneys in the country um, I have a sense of who has great reputations who maybe struggles on you know in certain aspects with certain with other attorneys who gets along who doesn't happy to give you a recommendation um all you need to do is send me an email Brian at brianhanks.com, dot um, and then, If you get to the point where your deal (laughs) ends up getting killed for whatever reason, well, it could be that you didn't find the right practice. So if you'd like to see a video on how to find a good practice, just text the word FIND, F-I-N-D, to 33777. That's FIND to 33777. Okay, so we're talking about the legal documents. We have two more to talk about. And these last two are documents that you won't see on every deal, Uh, The first one I want to talk about are partnership agreements. Now, if you are a solo doctor buying from a solo retiring dentist, go ahead and fast forward a couple minutes. You're not going to need a partnership agreement. This doesn't apply to you. So obviously, a partnership agreement is only for partnerships. And the big questions that a partnership agreement is going to answer is how are we splitting the money? And and that's the first and foremost thing in every partnership's mind is how we do this fairly Um, and, and how do we make sure that each other's interests are protected and a good dental attorney will be able to, and an accountant also will be able to explain to you pros and cons of different models, why certain percentages work in certain cases and not others. Okay. So they're talking about how they split the money. In addition to that, they're also talking about what happens in an emergency. Okay. I've, I've heard attorneys refer to these as the four D's, right? What if somebody dies, becomes disabled gets on drugs, or gets divorced. (laughs) So your partnership agreement needs to cover those types of emergencies and talk about how you would handle those. Um, In your partnership agreement, there should be something about how you would value the practice and when you would value the practice. So valuation method and timing would be included. And um, and that would be in the case of a partner – uh, you know, who isn't around, or maybe there's an emergency sale or somebody just wants to get out. Uh, so make sure that the evaluation method and timing is included. And finally, partnership agreement should include what I consider the second most important part of a partnership agreement. First, of, first, most important of course being how do you split the money, but the second most important part being how do you get out of the partnership? Okay? What are the rules? Who gets to decide? How do we execute the exit? of a partnership. All right. Last document that we're going to talk about, the fifth document on our list is an associate employment agreement or an associate employment contract. And we're going to talk about this from the perspective of a buyer, though it could be the case that you as the buyer are going to keep the seller around in some capacity, in which case you would need to hire them and they need to have an employment contract. So the seller might have an, an, an associate employment contract as well. Uh, But for the purposes of of this podcast, what I wanted to talk about was the situation that I see more commonly where an associate is going to come work for a few months, maybe up to a year or more, and date, essentially, before they get married and buy into the partnership. So these are usually delayed buy-ins. And the issues at play outside of a typical employment contract, right? So I'm going to assume you've seen or you at least know the basics of an associate contract that has... non-compete and how much you're getting paid and the like, you want to make sure if you're becoming an associate with an eye to buying in, that you understand, yes, how pay works, but then you also decide who is going to decide the yes or no for you to buy into the practice. Who has the ability to veto? Who has the ability to approve? I mean, listen, ideally, you'd be the only one with that decision. That would be very unlikely, that you could be the sole person with the power to say yes or no. And then you'd want to have at least some sense of what the rules are around that. Similar to a partnership agreement, as the associate coming in, you want to understand who, when, and how the the practice is going to be valued for the purpose of you buying in. In addition, of course, you're going to have a non-compete, and that's going to be part of your associate agreement to know how and when you're going to be either buying in or not. Or if you don't, what happens at that point? Okay. Let's wrap up this discussion by talking about a few tips that I picked up around these types of legal documents. So when you are reading legal documents, tip number one is that ambiguity is your enemy. Okay. Ambiguity is, (laughs) that is the bane of every legal document's existence. And I say ambiguity is the enemy. And then the next thing I'm gonna say is that ambiguity in some form is inevitable. It's impossible to uh, very sp- specifically prescribe solutions to every single scenario that could possibly arise in your transition, okay? So what I would suggest is like I mentioned, reading through your asset purchase agreement, reading, read every legal document that, you're, that is put in front of you in order to sign and just simply grab a pen and take note of any ambiguous language, okay? If you don't understand something, flag it, ask your attorney. And ask them what it means and try to get a sense. You don't need to become a legal scholar. You just need to have a basic understanding of what is happening here, okay? Have your attorney, this is tip number two, have your attorney spell out what each clause does and what the clause is protecting you from, all right? Paragraph seven, subsection C talks about Represented uh, Reps and warranties, they call them. Okay, well, what's a rep, rep and warranty? Your, your lawyer should tell you that. You know, that's going to make sure that, et cetera, et cetera, right? Okay. Tip number three is when you're reading, reading a legal document, aim for a meeting of the minds. All right? Um, what I mean by that is just like ambiguity is a necessity and it's also your enemy, realize that compromise is a must and that as the buyer, it's likely that you're going to be doing more compromising than the seller. Um, I I hope that's not the case. I hope you get everything you want as the buyer. Traditionally, what I have seen is that the buyer ends up um, giving a little bit more simply because the seller has the majority of the power. Okay. Think about communication with people that you like, right? Your spouse, your significant other, brothers, sisters, friends, and think how often miscommunications happen with those people. And then Put yourself in a business transaction where hundreds of thousands and potentially millions of dollars are at stake, and you can see why it's important to be clear as you're reading the documents and be clear about what you're reading and why it's there. Last tip for you is to pay attention to capitalized words, okay? If a word is capitalized, it has a definition earlier in the document, it means something, okay? If you need if some motivation <laughs> and you have a spare half hour sometime, Browse Dentaltown or Facebook for some horror stories around the legal side of transitions. Uh, this is what you're paying your attorney for. It you are paying the attorney to educate you, to protect you from things that you don't even have a clue exist. Okay, this is the time to ask the stupid questions. This is the time to make sure that documents that are put in front of you line up with the oral conversations you've had with the seller. All right. So in summary, just a Go over what we covered. We covered a quick review of what we know about the legal side. We talked about five documents: the asset purchase agreement, the bill of sale, the lease or the real estate contract. We talked about the partnership agreement and the associate agreement. And then we closed with a few general tips for reading legal documents. Uh, As we're getting to the end, if you wouldn't mind, do me a favor: um, leave a a review in iTunes. I really, I would really appreciate it. Tell your friends about the podcast because it will help others find it. And if you have a question, about something on the legal side, or you need an attorney and need a recommendation, shoot me an email, Brian at BrianHanks.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the Practice Purchased Podcast. For more information about Brian's best selling book, How to Buy a Dental Practice, or about the Practice Purchase Blueprint course, visit BrianHanks.com.